Hello there, this is Mark Bauerlein with another conversation. Before we get to it, a word about one of our sponsors. Located in the foothills of Wyoming's spectacular Wind River Range, Wyoming Catholic College, an accredited four-year Great Books institution, is built on the ancient Western tradition of the liberal arts and the freedom of the American West. The college offers its students an immersion in the primary sources of the classical tradition, the grandeur of the mountain wilderness, and the spiritual heritage of the Catholic Church. Students experience the illumination of imagination and intellect through the great books and traditional disciplines, literature and philosophy, mathematics and theology, science and Latin, and an outdoor program second to none. The college celebrated an in-person graduation with its seniors last year and welcomed its largest freshman class ever this year. Learn more about the college's unique space in the world of American higher education at wyomingcatholic.edu. Kristen Van Uden joins us today. She is with the Sophia Institute Press, which has just released a volume of writings entitled Visions and Revelations. Welcome, Ms. Van Uden. Hi, Mark. Thanks so much for having me. You know, I was going to explain the author and the background of the book, but let me ask you if you would do that. Who was Father Gabriel? So Father Gabriel of St. Mary Magdalene was a discalced Carmelite priest from Italy. This is, of course, the order that St. Teresa of Avila and St. John of the Cross helped to restore during their lifetime as they were contemporaries. And he himself was a spiritual director. So he was not only an expert on the writings of these founding members of his order, St. Teresa and St. John, but he was in charge of the spiritual direction of many nuns who were under him. So he guided them as their confessor and director. And as, of course, many great Carmelites were blessed with visions and revelations throughout their lives. This is something that is very near and dear to the order. And he wrote this book as a primer on the existence of visions and revelations, their role in the spiritual life, and a guide not only to people who might have visions, but also to spiritual directors themselves. Because as we'll see, the role of the spiritual director in directing the soul who may have a vision is very important. So this was written at mid-century. He um, actually published right in 1950, and he died three years later in 1953. And so we are republishing his works. Hopefully this will not be the last from him. Really? Wow. That, 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 well, th- thank you. Thank you, Sophie Institute Press, for, for bringing, bringing these, <laughs> these forward. Uh, j- just a quick thing for maybe, maybe some of our listeners. What does discalced mean? So discalced literally means shoeless. So that is one penance that they take upon themselves. So you'll see uh, these are often they, they wear sandals or um, it, it's part of the penitential ascetic life. All right. You have an introduction to the volume uh, by Father Matthew McDonald, who raises a lot of substantial uh, questions about this whole issue of visions and revelations, that it's, it's, uh, it can be very complicated. For instance, what is the distinction between public revelation and, and private revelation? So public revelation refers to big R revelation. This is the revelation that Jesus has given to the church as the deposit of faith. And that is all you need to be saved. So public revelation is all of the doctrines and magisterial teachings of the church that must be adhered to for salvation. Whereas private revelation is given to certain souls in order to increase their faith. And sometimes in order to give prophecies for the entire church, but private revelation 
is actually not a requirement for the Catholic to believe in because there are so many ways in which it can go wrong. We'll see later in the book, the devil can actually uh, institute false revelations, false visions in order to lead souls astray. And so the church has decreed that uh, individual souls do not need to practice or believe any private revelation, including even the rosary, which is something that was revealed to St. Dominic privately, but which has been now um, instituted in the entire church. So the church is a very rigorous process for approving private revelation. The main thing to remember is that private revelation to individuals can never contradict public revelation. And that is one mm. of the signs that it's a false vision if it in fact does teach something contrary to the established doctrine of the church, contrary to faith and morals. So this is, as, as we discern uh, various revelations that may make the news or Sometimes you'll you'll see random stories or even hear friends talking about their supposed revelations. You need to always keep in mind that Jesus gave us everything we need to be saved through capital R revelation. And if that is the only thing you study, then you'll be good to go. You know, I I imagine that the church, as you as you suggested, uh, as you implied, that you know the church works very slowly on mm -hmm. things, and I consider that a virtue actually, over, over time, one of the reasons for its longevity. Uh, and is there, I mean, this, this is really for you, uh, is there a, I, I don't know if bias is the right word, but a very healthy skepticism the church automatically brings to any claim of private revelation? Yes, absolutely. And we even see this in the writings of St. John of the Cross as featured in this book that private revelation should never be sought for its own end. It is not an end in itself, in fact. It exists in order to point the soul towards something else. So the proximate means of grace and the proximate means of salvation, of growing closer to God, are the increase in faith or the increase in sacrifice or the increase in virtue that these revelations engender in the souls to which God has chosen to reveal them. And so this is St. John of the Cross's main principle regarding revelation is that they should never be sought. And even when they start to happen, that they should actually be resisted until they can be discussed with the spiritual director and until it becomes clear that these are in fact from God. That um, he even makes the distinction in this book, which I thought was very helpful between mysticism and visions and revelations, because it's a common misconception, especially in our modern day to claim that these are synonymous, and they are in fact not. So he gives a definition of mysticism, Father Gabriel, right towards the beginning of the book, where he says, the infused contemplation of God that, as it develops, leads the soul to the heights of the transforming union with him. And in fact, this type of mysticism should be a hallmark of any good prayer life, especially an advanced prayer life, but nowhere in there are visions and revelations necessary, required, or even to be thought of as a given. So mystical contemplation is a mark of singular fullness of spiritual life, he says, and visions and revelations are secondary and accidental to the mystical life. Even St. Mm -hmm. Teresa of Avila says this herself, that they are not ends in and of themselves. They, if you see a vision of Christ, the purpose is to love him more. If, soul, if a soul sees a vision of Christ crucified, the purpose of that is likely to make reparation for sin, for example. So... These are not meant to be things that one directs their spiritual life towards. They are sometimes given as additional graces on top of a spiritual life. Yeah. You know, it seems to me as you describe it that 
the the mystical union, you know, that that the mystic culminates in, really involves something of a loss of individuality, whereas the private revelation always retains some element of that individualized character. Is that correct to say? That that does make sense, because even St. Teresa of Avila wrote in the interior castle that this was just her subjective personal experience. And so other souls who were elevated to those levels of grace within the seven mansions would experience something perhaps completely different. But the characteristics, the main basic principles will be the same. So it will depend on what the individual visionaries personal proclivities are. So we each have virtues that we excel in more than others. Likewise, we also have what's known as our predominant fault, the sin which we keep committing from which all of our other sins really flow. And so God will, if these are true visions, if these are true revelations from God, they will be individualized to that soul in order to bring them personally closer to God. But a hallmark of a true vision is that it retains basic Catholic principles of the virtues and of defending and adding uh, an expansion upon what we know to be true through public revelation. So if it's so personalized that it sounds odd or different or offensive to pious ears, as it's called, something that just does not ring true to the Catholic conscience, then that can be a sign that it might be false. Okay. There seems to be, for the the book, uh, right at the start, there seems to be some local or more or less near historical impetus for this these these warnings in the book and that is that father gabriel witnesses a fascination i think he uses the term fascination with private revelation maybe in 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 the mid or early 20th century is that is that the case It definitely is. And we can see that this was one of his motivations is, yeah, I think he uses either the word fascination or obsession, but there's an innate sort of mania for the supernatural and not only among Catholics, but also in popular culture. And especially since his death, this has increased tenfold where the sensationalist aspect of visions and revelations is sought. And We've seen this also in the realm of exorcisms and the various movies and and pop culture that that has inspired has served only to dilute the the true meaning of what all of these things are. So he he does seek to stop misconceptions with this book first and foremost, and then to give a true Catholic understanding of what visions and revelations are. Yeah. Uh, He says at one point that there is, quote, too much credulity given to visions and revelations in modern times. And, you know, I, I can see how you, you use the word sensational. And I, I can see it. The media would love, media love these, these kinds of things. Uh, does he also imply that there may be too much credulity being given by the church, by spiritual directors as well, and that this is, as much a warning to to them to let's raise you know let's raise our grains of salt a little mm-hmm. bit when we face these things but is is the church a little bit to 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 be included here as well 
he definitely implies an overvaluing of private revolution at the level of spiritual directors. The church itself, I think, he 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 warns against the leaders of the church falling into this trap, but he does recognize that the church cannot err and so will never fall into this trap completely of relying on somewhat incredulous private revolutions. But the spiritual director, it, it is clear through reading that that he has personal experience with spiritual directors who sort of invert the roles with their directee, as he says that the the master becomes the student sometimes when one of their directees has visions and revelations because, of course, they believe they have some sort of special infused knowledge from God and they must listen to them rather than the proper orientation, which is to submit to the spiritual director. Uh, this is why the hierarchy of the church is so important, especially within these religious orders where obedience is a virtue and it's one of the vows they take. Um, and it really comes clear in instances like this, why that is so, because otherwise the these this hierarchy of the church would be completely inverted and centered around these these almost cult figures of of these people, saints even, who have revelation. Whereas uh, Saint Teresa of Avila gives the example that her spiritual director at one point told her to even try to rebuff Jesus almost when he was appearing to her. And she knew that it was really Jesus, so she didn't want to do this because it might wound him, but she did it anyway. And Jesus said to her, basically, that's all right. This is understandable. You are acting in obedience, which I have given as a charism to your order and to the church. And so he was pleased with her through acting in obedience to her spiritual director, even though it was something that uh, contradicted the vision. Yeah. You know, I've heard people describe modernity as fundamentally the elevation of the individual, individual desire, uh, individualized faith. And it seems to me that that goes along with Father Gabriel's uh, complaint that people are getting too interior. I think he uses the word interior to sort of absorb within what is going on inside themselves, that this would open the way toward that credulity of vision or the pursuit, right, of the private revelation more and more. Would he, do you think he would, he would say that the, the recent inclination toward trust or pursuit of the vision is sort of a general modern condition and one that, and one that we must resist? I think so, yes. Even at the time of this writing in 1950, modernism, which Pope St. Pius X declared as the synthesis of all heresies, had begun infecting the church in the late 19th century. Um, modernism is defined by this plague of subjectivism that takes its principles from those of the French Revolution of unseating Christ, uncrowning him, and placing reason and human will at the center. And really a doctrine of the Antichrist that everything stripped of that one truth of being rested in God, whatever good you do on this earth, whatever good attributes the human has, which are secondary to God, will just be corrupted. So in our age, especially when the subjectivism has extended throughout the church, throughout the world, to the point where moral relativism reigns, uh, the only sin is that of intolerance, according to the world, it's very likely that those of us, even in the church, are infected with this... Uh, privileging of personal experience and 
as Pius X calls it in his encyclical crescendi, divine or uh, imminence and the the religious sense as the basis of faith, the personal experience of faith. Whereas that's not what it is at all. The personal experience of faith, you can go through what St. John of the Cross calls the dark night of the soul and still be completely faithful to the church. The personal experience is secondary and consolations are given as extra graces to the soul. But hmm. that's just completely not how we view it today. And we, we view our personal happiness and comfort as something paramount. And that, in addition to our atomized existence away from others, away from the hierarchical structures of the church, can certainly lend a uh, a certain, uh, you know, a danger to to those of us who might think that we're having revelations or following people who claim to be having revelations without going through the proper measures. Right. Well, I I, ha I have some advice for you as a, as a modern teacher. You must follow your passion, pursue your <laughs> dreams, no matter what anyone says. You don't have to listen to anyone. It's all about you, you, you. Okay, sure young lady. True. I want you to remember that. That's right. My truth, right? <laughs> there we go. There we go. So, uh, you, you know, one one problem here, he, he says, is that the one who has the the vision, the revelation, it can almost become a habit with that person. And other people can respond and try, start to regard him in idolatrous ways as, quote, an oracle. Is this a real danger? Yes. And... The main danger here is in the temptation to pride of the visionary him or herself, because this pride is the worst of all of the vices. It's the the pinnacle of the vices, and it can it's the first sin of the devil, um, the sin of Adam and Eve. And so it is the most dangerous to the soul, and a soul that is taking pride in its own visions, thinking that God has favored it specially, is a great danger to take them off of the right path, but then also to discourage those around them. So on the back of the book, even um, our press team has written many Catholics feel deficient, if not hopeless, when they read of the many saints who experience divisions, if they themselves are not experiencing them. So it's important to remember that God only gives to the soul the graces which it needs in that moment. And for each soul, this will differ. Many saints, canonized saints, never had any visions. Not every saint is called to the same fate. They're all the same in that they're called to the beatific vision and they um, live their lives in heroic virtue in their particular circumstances, but they're individual human beings. And so those circumstances will all be different. And some are called to be visionaries and some aren't. And the best antidote to this is the humility that Father Gabriel, St. John and St. Teresa emphasize that you should be approaching any of this just like God's plan for your life as a whole with humility and submission to his will, handing over your will is the only way to seek happiness. If you seek happiness for its own end, ironically, you don't get it. Let's pause for a moment to ask if you are looking for a Catholic university where the greatest works of Western and Catholic tradition are the foundation for learning, all in an environment that is faithful to the magisterium. That's the University of Dallas in Irving, Texas. Recommended by the Cardinal Newman Society, the university offers an exceptional liberal arts education with undergraduate and graduate programs in arts and sciences, business, and ministry, as well as a campus in Rome, Italy, all of them preserving the wisdom of the past while preparing students for world-changing futures. Academically excellent, always faithful. Apply today at udallas.edu. You know, one reason he says that 
the visions and revelations, private revelations are, are something of a trend is our quote, innate craving for the marvelous. Mm -hmm. Now, 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 Kristen, what could be more marvelous than, than, than the upper room gathering? What could be more marvelous uh, than, than, than Jesus's miracles? Why do we need the marvelous when we've got all of that? Exactly. And this is the principle to be applied to all miracles in the church's history, especially uh, the manifestation of Eucharistic miracles of the bleeding host. We must remember that the Eucharist itself is a miracle. Our existence is a miracle. The, our ability to receive Jesus Christ whole and inviolate, the body, blood, soul, and divinity is the miracle. And that any consolations in the physical realm, such as a bleeding host or the apparitions at Fatima, etc., are meant to direct us toward that faith. And that, as scripture says, blessed is he who has not seen and yet has believed. So we are called to believe the entirety of the church's teaching because he said so, because this is established, and because, of course, it is the culmination of the natural law, and it checks out logically, obviously. But that is enough, and we don't need proof of our faith, because otherwise it wouldn't really be faith. So sometimes God sees fit to use miracles to bring about greater faith, either in times of doubt or in times when special messages need to be revealed, as is the case with many Marian apparitions or prophecies about the end of the world. But these should not be what we rest our faith upon. They are only helpmates to the real core, which is the absolute miracle that is the faith itself. You know, it's interesting. He, he says that the first or the best way, well, one of the best ways to uh, guard against the dangers of of false revelation is to hold fast to our quote, good sense and prudence. And that means that we must turn as our guide to St. John of the Cross. Uh, what does, what does St. John of the Cross offer here on, on these, on these issues? Yeah, so prudence is defined as acting according to right reason. So this characterizes St. John of the Cross's approach to visions and revelations, so that often he is recalled as actually having been negative toward visions, because he is so strict in the principles of you shall not seek these. When they do arrive, you, sh you should not pursue them. You should take them directly to your spiritual director and as resist as much as possible until an adequate assessment can be made. But one of the things Father Gabriel does in this book is to synthesize St. John's views with St. Teresa of Avila. And he actually argues that they are on the same page because the, the classical understanding has been St. Teresa has been pro-vision. St. John has been against, even though she was his mentor. But that's not true. They both just are characterized in their approach by this prudence, by this caution that the, um, we're approaching visions in the right way. So St. John mainly contributes a sense of caution to approaching visions and that he he's the one who in this book is the originator of the thought we discussed earlier that the vision is not the end in and of itself it should be bringing the soul closer to god and that's one of the fruits by which a spiritual director can tell if this is a true vision or not so uh, what i really like about the book is that it, it goes through uh the final chapter is a the attitude of the director, as it says, and it's it's a guide for spiritual directors on how to discern good from bad visions, really drawing from St. John of the Cross, 
And then even in the appendix, we are given some lists of things that the devil can and cannot do within visions. Right. So St. John was very careful to, to distinguish between these. Yes, yes. Yeah, and, and I should, yeah, this book does have, actually, it ends with a great deal of very practical guidelines for, for, for the issue. You know, one thing St. John of the Cross brings up is a particular problem with hagiography, right? With, with saints, uh, the history of saints, and the problem there being that too often we overemphasize the extraordinary experience of the saints instead of putting their extraordinary experience within a larger context of their very normal, loyal, uh, faithful acts of, of faith instead. That's that the, right. I mean, the, the extraordinary experiences should really be almost a hook, but then, mm -hmm. then we move beyond those experiences, yes? Yes, the, the stuff of sainthood is made up of daily perseverance and recommitment to initial zeal. So those moments of zeal are few and far between. And the, the saint is made not in the exceptional moments, but in the times where there are no consolations or there are great temptations to apostatize or to give in to the comforts of the world. And they quietly and unglamorously persevere through that as well. So the sainthood is defined by heroic virtue in the cases of martyrs, that's very obvious. It's that one moment of heroic virtue. But in some cases, they saints suffer what's known as white martyrdom, which is a martyrdom not of blood, but of suffering prolonged throughout their life. And this is the call of every Catholic, actually, is to suffer as a white martyr, to be hated by the world, to offer up our sufferings for Christ, to know that every small thing that comes our way is a means of sanctification. And another Carmelite, St. Therese of Lisieux, excelled in this in her little way, in that her seemingly mundane life of small temptations and small annoyances in her convent, she was able to turn into such efficacious grace through her acceptance of her state in life and the sufferings that God chose to send her way. So just like with grace, sufferings too will be sent your way according to what God thinks you can handle. And so an overemphasis on the extraordinary can sort of um, distract from that daily commitment that's needed, even through the boring times to achieve sainthood. If, if someone experiences a private revelation or a vision of some kind, what should that person do with it initially? So <laughs> first things first, go to a priest as soon as possible. Make okay. sure you are in the state of grace. So if you are in a state of mortal sin, it's likely that this is not from God. Um, so make sure you're in a state of grace anyway. But especially if this sort of thing happens, it could be a di diabolical attack. Consult with a priest. Uh, consult with, try to try to isolate what the content of the vision is and also what the effects of it in your soul are. Is it bringing about peace and uh, a mm. desire to be closer to God and to pray more? Or is it bringing about strife and worry and, and disruption in your life? Uh, so are these, are these the fruits of the Holy Spirit in your soul or not? And, you know, wrap that all up, bring that to a priest to discuss and then <laughs> let him take it from there. What should the priest, what should a director do when he is brought news of, 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 a, of a private revelation? So this is- I mean, I, mean I, I imagine he will ask the same questions that you yes. just asked 
the the, the so go, go ahead go ahead he will ask the same questions so this is the uh substance of the final chapter here so in discernment of visions uh father gabriel says that first the condition of the subject must be taken into account and we see this in the first appendix as well which gives somewhat more specific criteria that the the, the personal qualities of the subject. Who is this person? Are they a practicing Catholic or are they have they perhaps been involved with the occult before? Where like what what is the state of their soul at the time these visions were given? Uh, and then the condition of the subject after the visions. So like we mentioned, are the fruits of the Holy Spirit present in the soul or is this something from the other side? Also next he tells us to he tells the directors to give great attention to the content of the visions. So Throughout the book, Father Gabriel discusses the various types of visions. So there are locutions, which are audible, and then visions, which are visual. And they can be imaginary or intellectual, or uh, the third one is external. So external is the lowest level. That's just you literally hear or see something. Uh, imaginary refers not to something that's illusory, fake, or made up, but rather acting upon the faculty of the imagination. So. This is something that is the creative powers. So it'll be a story in the mind, a, a, an understanding of an event. And then finally, intellectual, which St. Teresa of Avila describes as food being inserted into the stomach without eating, except in your mind and soul. So the infused knowledge of God, and this is oftentimes uh, contemplating on one of the specific attributes of God. So the visions of the sacred heart, for example, will just appear in your soul, in your mind, in your intellect, without you having actually taken steps to get there and without words. So this is why visions are so difficult to speak about because they are communicating extra verbally. So trying to fit this into, into words is often very difficult, even for St. Teresa when she was writing her interior castle. So analyze the content of the visions and the type of vision. How exactly was this imparted to the soul by which of these various means and then the effects that they have on the community as well. And those are the hallmarks that a spiritual director will, will use to make an analysis and to bring up the chain if need be. The book is Visions and Revelations. Kirsten Van Uden, thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. And thank you for listening to our conversation, which has been supported by Wyoming Catholic College, which combines great books, the Catholic tradition, and the great outdoors of the American West into an extraordinary education. Go to wyomingcatholic.edu or contact the admissions office at 877-332-2930.